Hold on to your butt. I'm quite surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Uh, good evening and welcome to the program. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. And this evening, we're going to continue to explore, well, a subject that's not often heard on the radio airwaves, sometimes heard online, but I'm trying to do it in a uh, seeking understanding, the classical sense of argument. And though I've brought somebody on that I think I largely agree with, um, his name is Alan. Not the Alan that is usually on, Alan Harbin, but... Just Alan. Um, Alan, how are you this evening? I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I'm happy you're here. And you essentially are a listener, and you reached out to me on the Book of Faces. And so, folks, if you're out there listening and you want to talk about a subject I bring up in passing or I'm exploring myself, I'm more than welcome to bring folks on. Too many times we bring on, as radio hosts, podcasters, people are, oh, do you have a book? Are you an activist of some kind? And you just reached out and said... I'm happy for the conversation you're starting. Absolutely. I mean, I love the fact that you've been discussing religion and spirituality, and I just wanted to know if you would have my voice on the air, because I love the the topic. I've been very passionate about it. However, I'm from the, I I find myself on the side that is less common here, um, the the non-theistic side. Right. So let's begin in this way. Uh, how would you first describe yourself to somebody if they asked you, where do you go to church? I mean, that's the question I often get. Where do you go to church? And I mean, how do you usually respond to that question? I'm, I'm very upfront. I, I'll, I'll tell someone that I, I don't attend church. If they inquire more about that, like, well, what do you believe? I right. want people to know that I am not religious. I am not Christian in any way. Um, I wouldn't say that I am an atheist because when most people hear the word atheist, mm-hmm. they think it means that you say that there is definitely no God. Right. And I don't believe that I can make that claim. However, I'm probably more of an agnostic. That is, I don't believe that there is a God. It's right. a lack of belief. Well, and that's where I, I finally just came out and said I'm, you know, I'm an atheist because if somebody asked me, do you believe... Uh, by most definitions or what people mean by God, and we'll get into this, because that's a question I often ask folks. I say, yeah, I don't. Right. So, And I don't know, and that's the agnostic, agnostic part. I don't know. Exactly. I think they're actually very similar. It's just that some people I found, I, I used to use the word atheist, but some people say, well, you can't prove there's not a God. Right. Well, I'm not, I'm not claiming to be able to. You, you can never prove a negative. You can't prove... N- something does not exist. Now, were you ever, did this come to you in adulthood? How were you raised? What was your childhood like in this regard? My, my family are all Christians, um, Southern Baptists mostly, and they didn't force it on me, and I was raised going to church. I, During my teen years is when I first started questioning religion and looking at other religions, but I think that it was mostly when I was like early 20s I really solidified my belief mm. in a lack of belief in any kind of deity. Well, and some folks, you know, I was talking about this other night, either believe or come not to believe because of some huge moment. 
uh, like it can be tragic. I I'm, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I had somebody say, Joey, when you have your first kid, you'll believe in God. Then I had somebody literally a few weeks later say, Joey, when I had my first kid, I stopped believing, <laughs> and they weren't joking. Right. Um, so this was a slow process for you? Yes, it was a slow process. There was no moment. There was no moment of tragedy or anything like that that, that changed my mind. It was more of a rational inquiry. Yeah. Um, just looking at the, the, the reasoning behind it, looking at some of the claims that are made by religions and whether there's any evidence for them. And I, I simply don't see enough. Now, did, I don't want to get... Any time it's too personal, just tell me that. Absolutely. But it, did it create any discord in the family considering everybody else around you is Southern Baptist? Um, a, a very minor amount. Um, my family hasn't really tried to change my beliefs. When I first started when I first started straying away from religion, I would have several discussions and some tense sure. discussions with my mother about this. But no, it's never been a, a big issue. That's awesome. And I, it's likewise with my family. I mean, I have an uncle who's a monsignor in the Catholic Church. And I've told them that he always wanted to be just a just a I have to stop using that phrase but he wanted to be a local pastor who simply helped people out uh, charity on the local level he didn't ever want to go and do things in Rome or become a bishop or a cardinal or anything though it seemed like the church wanted him to and I told him a few years ago especially when my mom was sick and we were seeing each other more often and you know moments like that you it really is test what you believe in where your convictions lie uh, I told him that I want to make clear that I don't, I don't disdain what you do at all. In fact, I love what you do. Right. Even though I don't necessarily believe it personally, I see the love and inspiration and the good work you inspire. And what's funny is he came back and he actually talked about how some days it is just like a job being right. a priest. Um, so I want to start here because it is a very much a, a rational uh, inquiry, uh, as you said, but where and I get this question a lot. Do you get sort of your inspiration, the transcendent moments? If you're not going to church, uh, if it's not in, put in those religious terms, mm -hmm. would you say you experience anything transcendent, or would you be hesitant to even use that word? I, I will embrace that. I just think that if you contemplate the actual physical universe, if you contemplate the the size and the scale and the scope of it, it's it's just amazing. If you if you also, if you look at things on a smaller scale, the, the atomic level, the subatomic level, this universe is absolutely amazing and, and awe-inspiring. And I don't believe that it necessarily had to be caused by a creator, but I think it in and of itself is awe-inspiring. Hmm. So it doesn't have to necessarily have a creator. But then the other question I right. often get as an atheist myself is... Where do you get your morality from, your ethics, your sense of right and wrong? I think that morality is evolved. I think that you, morality is evolved. I think that you can see examples of ethics or quote-unquote morals in other non-human animals, hmm. especially with us being social animals. We're, we're group animals. Um, behavior that hurts the group, because the groups were, were smaller groups for a very long period of time. Right. And if it hurt the group it would hurt the overall chances of survival, including your own chances of survival. So, with evolution being concerned with the, the reproduction and the continuation of the gene, yes. altruism, helping others, would ultimately help yourself and help the gene continue. So, those who are more inclined to do those good things would be the ones who had a better chance of reproduction. Well, and I've come to... It, it's somewhat based on 
how I would explain it to folks. But I'm very much, uh, I like the writings and teachings of Epicurus. Mm-hmm. And he's essentially a, a prudent and temperate hedonist. That it's the pleasure pain. Right. Uh, what hurts you is bad. What feels good is right. Now, this isn't as simple as, oh, go do whatever is the whim of the moment. Right. Uh, the pleasure in the moment. Or avoid pain always. Sometimes you have to go through a little suffering in order to get some greater pleasure. Sometimes you have to endure and understand in order to build worthwhile relationships. There's this balancing act Absolutely. between uh, pleasure and pain. Um, how would you say the, the your evolutionary model for morality, what sort of virtues does it inspire? You mentioned altruism, so I'd be, you know, obviously, compassion, uh, charity, love. Uh, what about some of the other virtues we see that you know, when they go out of whack, like courage, you, some people can be overbearing, or some people can be too prudent. They're always right. in their head, and they're not caring. Well, I think that if you look at the way evolution works, it's natural selection, but the mutations are random. Hmm. So you can generally evolve towards a trait, but you're going to have a spectrum of the way it's expressed. And some people have too much of a certain thing. It can be a hindrance. But if you think about it, l- let's go back to the, um, the smaller, the tribal days, hunter-gatherer days. The person who is really skittish, who's really anxious right now, in that society, that's the person who's catching the small change. That's the tiger coming through the grass that not everyone else catches because they're really focused on small details. So the smaller changes they pick up, and that's beneficial towards the survival of the group. Whereas now, when you don't have that kind of danger... The smallest things are triggering their anxiety, yes. and it could be seen as a disorder now. I okay. think that's the kind of thing that I mean. Okay. Now, I want to move to this idea that when I brought this up on air, again, there were people who are believers and non-believers who reached out. I really have not received any negative feedback, and it's a wonderful thing because I've met so many people who I just, the topic of religion never came up. Right. And I haven't been shy about it in my personal life for a while now, just not on the airwaves. And you get these people who are uh, cagey about it. And I've been sort of cagey about it myself. Have you found that you have some anxiety or you feel as though you can't talk about this as openly as you'd like in public? Yes, absolutely, because... I've come across many people who believe that if you are not a theist, or a Christian in particular, you must be a bad person. That if you don't believe that morality and ethics comes from a higher power, that you must not have it. You must want to just go and do whatever you want. You, mm. you, you don't believe in God because you want to get away with everything, and I don't believe that at all. And I, I'm really happy to hear that you haven't gotten negative responses from airing what is a minority opinion here. It is, and like I said on that show... If we were in Los Angeles or New York City or most metropolitan areas in this country, this isn't a big revelation. I think there are a lot of people who are secular, and in many ways, I wonder if you agree, a lot of the faiths, people say, I'm either Jewish or I'm Catholic or... I haven't heard it as often with Baptist, but they say, I'm, I'm really secular, but I go because I like how I was raised. I like the ritual. I like the community. 
Absolutely. I mean, I haven't heard it from my family because I haven't heard it much from Baptists, but I get the idea. And that goes to the, the social benefit of religion. And I don't begrudge it that whatsoever. I, I'm sure it is nice to have that, that social cohesion, that group, that ritual that you've associated with your childhood. I have no problem with that part whatsoever. Also, uh, I want to stress that I'm not an anti-theist. Right. I'm not opposed to someone believing whatever they want to believe. Um, my only problem comes in is when it's attempted to be enforced upon other people. Hmm. I completely agree with that. I, you can believe what you want. You can behave how you want as long as it's peaceful. Now, if I'm your dear friend and or a family member and you're doing something that's maybe self-destructive in my opinion, right. I'll tell you. Absolutely. But, uh, and maybe I don't say it enough. I kind of, no pun intended, I'm devil may care in some ways. But I almost want to start this conversation. And one of the big parts of people who are believers who have reached out have said, if I've had doubts, and I'm not mm-hmm. sitting over here going, good, good. Right. It's more that everybody I'm finding has these doubts and our own insecurities about these questions that are almost unfathomable. Like, we can ask the question, right. but it's very hard to create an answer. Uh, when people ask you, say, when you wake up in the morning, what is your purpose in life, like, what is the meaning of life? How, what do you see as your role for yourself first and for others? Let's start with the others first. That's easier for me to answer. That's why I'll okay. start there. Um, my role is to raise my children. I have twin boys the best way that I possibly can to help them achieve a great education. Um, I, I just just to help set them up to have as good a life as they possibly can. But aside from anyone else, my, my goal and my purpose for myself is, I don't think there, there is any kind of overarching goal. I'm really looking to find that, looking to find, you know, my way through this life, through the, through this experience. Uh, very cool. Uh, now, I've, I've been hesitant also to talk about atheism on air because I, I've tried to go to atheist meetups. I've done um, that before so, once. Uh, those so-called meetups or... You know, join a group of like atheists and agnostics, and what you find is people who come to this position in life, you may or may not have anything in common with other folks. Do you think it's wise to see like the movement? Like people think of, especially after nine eleven, those mm-hmm. the so-called four horsemen, uh, uh, the new atheism like Dennett and Dawkins, Hitchens, Hitchens uh, and Harris, and. You know, I like personally. I like Hitchens because I'm a sucker for rhetoric, um, and he's and that was where he was very strong. And in some ways, I find Dawkins very dismissive at times, though his work on, say, the sciences is is remarkable and worth reading. Which is where I actually like that aspect about about Dawkins. I think that he is very good at explaining things like evolution. I think that he is very good at explaining. problems with some of the arguments that have been used as evidence for God. Um, I don't like his online persona. Hmm. Uh, He can be very dismissive, like you said, um, but I think he's great at explaining primarily evolution, his his core subject. So I always worry that atheism is also associated with elitism, that it's this sort of looking down your nose at these people who believe, and neither you nor I are this way. That's not where I'm coming from at all. Um, I mean, honestly, if you were to ask me, if, if if I did see evidence of there being a creator, of there being a God, I would believe that, and that would be fantastic. Right. That would that would be fantastic. I, I like most people, don't look forward to the idea of not existing. 
Right. So I certainly don't hold it against those people who do. I just can't get there myself. I, I don't see the, the evidence myself. Now, I, I want to move to, and again, my guest this evening, folks, is Alan. We're just essentially having a private discussion here on the public airwaves about uh, being atheist or being agnostics, uh, whatever word you want to uh, pick. But essentially, those made who uh, not to believe. And when I was going through this, I found that I was asking questions very early on. And when I finally came to the realization that I'm just going to call myself an atheist because it's where my convictions lie, mm -hmm. I was a little distressed with the fact and that, okay, where am I going to find a sense of community? I've always been a bit of a loner, but I do worry, especially as I get older, uh, where do I find those friendships? Where do I find those deep, lasting friendships? And I'd imagine that you've found that in, in ways in your own life, especially you know, as you have kids. I didn't know yes, you had twins. I do. That's awesome. Um, where do you find your sense of community? In various other interests, be it political interests or people with whom I work or former schoolmates. Okay. Um, now, we come from, I think, different perspectives politically, but it's not that different. Not, cause when I'm it comes changing. to economics. comes mostly, to economics. Yeah. Okay. Or, and I'm wondering, do you think there's an association of atheism with, say, being a Democrat or being on the left? There certainly has been. Hmm. Um, I know that many people will say that uh, the people on the left are more likely to be atheists. I don't know how true that is, though. Right, because you get folks like Ayn Rand. Right. Um, you get folks like myself. The, again, I'm I'm not a good example. I've become almost apolitical. Um, maybe that's political despair, or maybe it's just me being a fool. But I, I find that interesting. Do you like, because we might disagree on economics, mm -hmm. do you like that idea that atheism takes on this political... A tone to it to so many folks. Absolutely not. I don't mm. see any connection between what I believe as far as economic policy and my views on the origin of the universe. Right. Um, I, I don't see why they're connected. And I'm sure that there are many closet atheist conservatives out there. I agree. Um, and sometimes you hear people and it, it sounds like they right. are. And they're just nervous from social sanction. Uh, do you think we'll ever have a president who's an atheist? Or have we had some? I think we've had some. Um, there's one in particular I wouldn't be surprised if he was an atheist. I'm not going to name him. But uh, I think we probably had at least one. Oh, come on. Name him. Who do you think? To was? me, Obama sounded like an atheist. He did. He did to me, too. He talked like an atheist to me. Yeah. It, it, I, that's why I always found the Obama's uh, a Muslim, though, how that is an insult. <laughs> right. um, I'm not certain, because anyway, that's a whole other jar of pickles. But uh, It's a different show. Yeah. It, and, yeah, Obama struck me that way, and it's almost like folks in a position of authority have to put on, especially in democracy, have to put on this face, because they, as we were kind of talking about at the beginning of this, you don't want to alienate people with a label. No. I don't believe that an open atheist could get elected at this point in time, because to go back to an earlier point, so many people believe that if you don't believe in God, you have no sense of morality. Hmm. And I think that you would get a socialist elected before an open atheist in this country. Well, and you have, I think in all societies, on this topic of ethics and morality, and to your point about it being part of it being evolution, uh, is that in almost every society that's ever existed, there have been prohibitions against murder, mm -hmm. theft, 
most societies say lying is pretty awful. I don't know too much about our society. We claim that we don't like lying when we want the truth, but so much of our, well, in particular, political games are based on fibs. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering now, what type of music do you like? Deep question, I know. Ooh, um... One of my favorite types is a, is a uh, genre known as uh, IDM, Intelligent Dance Music. Coil is one oh. of my favorite uh, groups. Check I've them out. never heard of that. I will send you links later. IDM, Intelligent Dance Music. Dance music. Yes. What separates it from like EDM? See, I'm not really familiar with EDM. Um, it's very psychedelic influenced. Huh. Uh, as, but beyond that, I listen to some folk artists, um, Bonnie DeFranco, some, some metal. Uh, I grew up on... Pantera, White Zombie, and Nine Inch Nails. Um, it really varies. I, a little hip-hop like Eminem. Okay. Immortal Technique, more of a political hip-hop yeah. artist. So it, it varies. Well, very cool. Well, I'm, I want to get more into this on the other side of the break on uh, how you came to believe what you did. We'll get into Indeed. politics a little bit. Well, and I think that word belief, uh, somebody asked me straight up, well, Joey, what is it that you believe? And I gave him a pretty straightforward answer. And it was while I was in the middle of answering phones, you know, producing another show mm -hmm. and keeping up with the conversation. So I did my best. But I'll see if you agree with some of these things. I tend to think uh, the universe is eternal but dynamic. Agreed. Uh, and I also think, and I can't prove this at all. It's just amusing on my part. That nothingness is a trick of our mind, of our limited capacity. That a literal nothing is a concept we can only, we can't really create nothingness. I think you're absolutely right, because if you have nothingness, it seems as though that would necessarily be eternal. Right. Because anything that could come about or bring it about, well, then there's not nothingness. Because it's already been found, if you look at quantum mechanics, that in what we call empty space, empty space is quite full and quite active. So, it sounds to me, because I didn't come to uh, where I lied in, the, I think, the same route, mm -hmm. that you are very, I can tell when you're talking about, passionate about the science. Absolutely. And I've... I'm getting there, and again, I think you heard my show on Dark Side of the Moon and yes. astronomy, and that has always fascinated me, but I can remember kind of falling asleep in science class. I've always been the guy who likes English literature and mythology a lot more, uh, which is also weird because you would think somebody who loves mythology might be a believer but I think it actually cuts the other way. Exactly. If you're looking at so many different myths, so many different mythologies from various times and places, you see how they're all similar, how these various cultures can come up with these stories to explain what they don't understand. And it actually, I would imagine, could lead you to view them all as myths. Hmm. Well, and actually, when folks say, this, my, what's your most fundamental belief in the social sense? I think the most important things in our lives are the narratives we tell ourselves, how we use our language. Yes. And so when somebody says, Joey, what's your faith? I, and I've come to a point where I don't say immediately, I have none. I say that, well, to me, faith means your identity and your place in the world, where you came from. I mean, not only who your parents are and mm -hmm. your siblings are and who your friends are, but in many ways, what culture are you a part of? Uh, do you identify with that tradition or do you not identify with that tradition? And it goes into what do you hope for? I think faith is a very all-encompassing word. 
and my I find myself even though I'm an atheist now because I was raised Catholic I say thank God right I mean it just means to the highest good thank you so much if right. I could put it that way and it's funny how uh, religion to its credit has helped inspire these concepts in folks that you know the greatest good the highest possible good and I want to talk on the other side of the break. Why do you think so many people are believers? And why do you think atheism is a minority? But first, we have to hit this break again. My guest is Alan. He's a listener. He reached out to me, and uh, I really appreciate him being here. And uh, we can take a few calls, 272-9228, And we'll be right back. And honestly, folks, I didn't have much time to listen to music, but... Grease came on on my uh, shuffle playlist. So that's the album of the day. We'll have some Shanana coming back. <laughs> Joey Clark. Oh, welcome back to the program. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. My guest this evening, simply Alan. Alan, how are you again? Fantastic, and I'm so happy that you're having me on to have this conversation with you. Oh, yes, and we just had a call from somebody. We'll stay anonymous, but first, we were saying as we were off the air that you wanted to follow up with what I was saying about what faith means. Yes, and even though I will often talk about the science and how you can explain things about the, the universe and the earth with science, that's not how I came to disbelief or to non-belief. It was really questions about religion and about faith that I could never find a good answer for. Uh, my main one is, okay, so let's, let's look at the, the idea of faith as, as it's commonly used. And in this example, let's use two people. You can use any two religions, but let's use a, a Christian and a Hindu. Now, neither one can prove their belief system, but neither claims to be able to. That, that's fine. That's right. not a big deal there. Uh, they both believe ultimately based on faith. Um, however, if you look at the belief systems of the Christian and the Hindu, both cannot simultaneously be true mm. because what they believe is so fundamentally different as to be mutually exclusive. Right. Therefore, it's like, okay, so we know that one of them, at least one of them, necessarily has to be incorrect about what they believe about the universe. So therefore, doesn't that mean that faith is necessarily not a reliable tool when it comes to discerning truth if it necessarily has led at least one of these people to a belief system that's not correct? Well, and I think that's well put because there's a great essay by H.L. Uh, Mencken. Mencken's a bit more mocking in his tone uh, than you or I, I think, would choose to be. But it's an essay called Eulogy for the Gods. Mm -hmm. And he literally lists hundreds of gods and faiths from cultures, civilizations that are no longer with us. Right. People who sincerely believed. And that was, that is something that has challenged me that, okay, there are these folks out there who believe things very sincerely. Why can't I, instead of saying you have to believe every single article of faith that I do, why can't we find common understanding? Right. Um, and, and I always come back to, it was a Christopher Hitchens discussion, much like this, with his friend who was a devout Catholic, uh, Mr. Rutten. 
And Rutten says, you remember what Erasmus of Rotterdam said upon reading Socrates in the High Latin during the Renaissance? And Hitchens like, no. Yeah, I just remember what Erasmus said right. on the top of my head. And he said, upon reading Socrates, a pagan wrote this, but it has mercy, justice, and love. I can hardly contain myself from saying, St. Socrates, pray for me. Hmm. And it's that sort of understanding that I... Well, if the best way, that's what my faith is. Finding understanding and common bonds between people. Exactly. I mean, we are, we are all on this planet for this limited amount of time. Why not seek to build the best and most harmonious community that you possibly can? Yeah. Regardless of your differences, find to see what you have in common. Because yeah. there'll be lots of it. Now, during the break, folks, I gave up the number 2729228. And anonymous person called in, I'm not even going to say if it was a guy or a girl, uh, and said, I really appreciate the discussion you and Alan are having, because I go to church all the time, and I am a closeted non-believer, and I go because I married someone who's very devout, and I love that person, and I have children with that person, and so I don't want to mess things up, but I wonder when I'm sitting there during the service, how many people are like me in that church? And it makes me wonder why folks feel as though they can't... Again, it's that caginess people have, that they feel hesitant to talk about their doubts. Even Mother Teresa, of all people, right. had her doubts. And she talked about them openly with, in confession with priests and whatnot. And they would I think there's an article of faith that talks about professing, you know, professing your belief until you do. Uh, but do you think there is or would be a troubling prospect that if you wiped the religious traditions away, people didn't believe all of a sudden, everybody, mm -hmm. that there would be a problem? Because I tend to think religion gives people structure. It gives people uh, sort of a ready-made wisdom that you can tap into. Like all the tr most of the traditions provide this. Uh, what do you think about that prospect? I think that certainly you would you would have to find something else in society that people could gather around. Um, if it was a sudden lack of belief, there there may be there there may be some some social issues and problems that would arise not from the lack of you know the religious teachings or the the services every Sunday, but just from that sense of community that that place where you can go, you can move to a different city and you can go to that church, and that's instant community. But that I believe could be replaced with, with secular organizations, with, yep. with secular interests, because I think that that's fundamentally different. Like the social benefit of religion is very different from the, the truth value of the claims made by them. And that's the issue that I have with them. Is I, don't, I don't follow the truth value claims, but absolutely they do lots of good as far as charity. They've helped people in my family when they've been seriously in need. Um, there are some very good, honest, genuine people in them who do lots of good work. I just don't think the same thing they do when it comes to the origin of the universe. No, and one of the toughest questions you get, and I had to struggle with this after my mom passed two years ago, uh, of what happens after we die. Now, the, the sort of crass answer is probably a lot like it was before we were born. I uh, don't really remember those right. moments. But it is, has that question troubled you or absolutely absolutely and without getting into too much personal detail sure. um right now this very moment uh someone very close to me 
is having a very difficult time health-wise. I'm sorry, man. And thank you. And um, to the point where I didn't even know if I was going to be able to do the show tonight for a minute. Um, I, I do have those concerns and those fears, but my honest answer is similar to this. Okay, let's say that you're, you have a computer and you have the hardware and it's running the operating system Windows 10. Yeah. And I, I take the hard drive out of the computer, I smash the hard drive, and I ask, okay, well, where is Windows 10 running now? Nowhere. It was software that was being run by the hardware. Once the hardware stops, I believe the software is not being generated anymore. I believe our minds are the software. Oh, yes. I, I think that you could say, take away my arm, and I'm still Joey. But you kept taking away parts of me, and more parts of me, and you start taking away my brain, eventually to where I'm dead. I, I agree with you. Though it brings up the, the question of, could this consciousness and these, these personalities we both have be transferred to another set of hardware and and this isn't i mean i think this would have been a bizarre very bizarre question years ago but not anymore not anymore it's it's very strange we're on the cusp of being able to do this with artificial intelligence in some ways i'm hesitant about it though i think it uh the idea of not deifying anything is important to me right including human reason so i worry sometimes people in science uh, instead of taking down faith claims, at times we'll say we can do anything. We have no limits. Um, do you worry about this prospect where people feel unrestrained at all uh, and are always going for certain types of technology and knowledge? I think the, the issue there would be the one of unintended consequences. Um, the unknown unknown. You do not know what you do not know, so you don't know the negative repercussions that will come right. along with the technology. Uh, I love the idea of, of no limits when it comes to there's nothing that we know that we can't do. Right. Push forward. Try. Because the things that we can do now seemed impossible a thousand years ago. So certainly a thousand years out, unless we end up, you know, destroyed in a nuclear holocaust, I think that we'll be doing things a thousand years from now that would seem impossible based on where we are now, which actually goes to a question that I often receive about my lack of belief. Um, people will say, okay, well, what about this particular obscure area of evolution? Explain this thing or right. explain this area of, well, how did the Big Bang start? Well, I, I can't. I, I don't know the answer to that uh, for many of the things n no one knows right now. But that's not an argument in favor of theism or of a deity. Right. It just means that we don't know something. Again, run run the clock back a hundred years. There are things that we didn't know then that we know now. Yes, uh, absolutely. And I think everything. I think there's a, a beautiful balance to the world, and it's, it's what's given me comfort in dark times and tragic times, where, say, you create. Like DNA splicing, you could mm -hmm. edit our genetic code. You could possibly halt or reverse aging. You could get rid of all sorts of diseases. Yes. But I can imagine certain groups of people, uh, certain types of governments, using it to create super soldiers Absolutely. with no conscience, these sort of things. And people with more money having more access to that, so having an even greater split in society. Right. Well, and this is where the economics uh, disagreement might come up. But I, I do see an issue like, well, the new Blade Runner movie addresses it, that if you don't have any limits on people's scientific abilities and then, say, somebody patents your genes right. as though it's a drug. And actually, it's a conversation I got into with Joe Quirk of the Seasteading Institute. This is why he wants kind of an independent floating city. 
is because there was a doctor doing sort of gene therapy or using people's stem cells mm-hmm. to treat certain diseases or uh, rebuild, you know, ligaments, cartilage. And the FDA designated people's own stem cells once spun in a centrifuge as a drug. And so, so your own cells that you gave to somebody else voluntarily and they're using to help cure something in you, that's now something we regulate. It is something that can be patented. And owned by a private party that's not you. Yeah. And that freaks me out. That freaks me out a lot. And I'm, I'm not a huge fan of our patent system currently. Um, and so it, these questions of, of limits not only address religious topics mm-hmm. uh, or topics of faith, but it also gets into the political. And I think this is why we need to have as much open discussion as possible, because if we're only focusing on morality as traditions, mm-hmm. then we lose kind of, I think, the sense of uh, how wrong things could go. Because if you throw out traditions completely, you can go too far in one direction. If you only rely on tradition, you might miss out on a new thing that'll help everybody. You should be able to analyze your traditions, keep what's useful, because there are some big ethical questions. What if, you know, we are currently developing AI? It's very rudimentary, but we could hypothetically have sentient, self-aware AI at some point in the future. At some point in the future, we could hypothetically create what would be a small universe. We're nowhere near that right now, but who's to say that we are not a universe that was created by a coder in another universe. I mean, there, there's so many possibilities. Right. If you look at DNA, if you look at the subatomic level, it, it looks so much like our code, our computer code. It's not impossible that this is all coded by someone. Oh, the simulation? Yes. yes. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most fascinating uh, ideas about how we're recreated. And folks, you know, get into this question of how we're recreated and Science fiction and mythology, fantasy genre has really done a wonder exploring these questions. Um, and it can come from, like, tomorrow night I'm going to talk about J.R.R. Tolkien mm-hmm. and The Lord of the Rings with my brother. And Tolkien, I believe, was a, a Christian, was a Catholic, but he didn't create a pure allegory. He sort of created this whole other world in mythology and history. And out of that, shared the values he thought he found in his faith in a right. completely different world. And you see this in, uh, you can explore these ideas in a way without saying, I'm taking this literally. Exactly. And so do you like that genre? Do you like the idea of, well, for instance, one is science fiction horror, where people go out to find the meaning of life. They do find their creators, and their creators go, yeah, you were an accident. Right. I mean, <laughs> it could be an accident. It could be the, the version of a, of a high school science project in that universe. I yeah. mean, all of these things are plausible. Now, I don't... I don't necessarily believe these right. things. There's no evidence for them, but they're certainly plausible. Right. Well, and it's like uh, Douglas Adams in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where the mice... I love how he flipped this on his yes, head. It's yes. so ironic that the mice are the most intelligent beings in the universe, and actually, by being tested by humans, they're actually testing humans. Right, right. And it just... Oh! That's such a... It's a funny moment, but it's also enlightening. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if you could consider some other species on this planet as the most intelligent form of life on it. I mean, look at us. We're not doing so great with the place. Well, and dolphins, yes. for instance. Maybe dolphins have something going on. 
where they're like, well, we don't, we keep, the ocean provides. There was a, 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 a study that I saw recently. It was found that whales actually have the ability to gossip. Whales have oh. a particular sound that they use to identify other whales, like individual whales, and they will use that. They will refer to that whale even when it's no longer present among other whales. It's just, it's fascinating the kind of life we have on this planet. It's remarkable. Well, let's brave the phones. Let's do it. Well, let's talk to John DeVoe. Now, John, how are you this evening? And knowing you, John, over the, getting to know you over the last few years, you go by many titles that almost seem to grab from different faiths. So I'm wondering uh, why you're calling tonight, number one, but you're an interesting guy to talk to on this subject. Well, listen, uh, I'm enjoying the topic and I think it's a a very, uh, uh, very, very, very good subject. Um, you know, when I was 18 years old at basic training, I heard a command sergeant major say that if someone will lie to you, they'll steal from you. And if they'll steal from you, they'll murder you. Hmm. But uh, uh, they usually say that the difference between the atheist and the agnostic is the atheist says that there is no God, and the agnostic says they can't prove that God exists. Well, and, and this is something we actually addressed at the top of the show, and I see most people say I'm an atheist are actually what you just described as agnostic. Yes. We can't prove it. We're just saying we don't know. Right. I mean, And we don't believe us, Gordon. But uh, yeah. after World War II, one of the conditions of Japan's surrender to the Allies was that the Emperor of Japan had to give up his claim to being a god. Well, that's and, fascinating. Um, but I'm the grandson and great-grandson of ministers, and so um, I, I, I'm a faithful person, I'm a hopeful person, and I'm a loving person, but I try to add to my faith, hope, and love uh, logic and reason as well. And then I'm a logical, and a, I, I try to be a logical and a reasonable person, and at the same time, I try to add to my logic and reason, uh, faith, hope, and love. Well, I, I'll say amen to that, John. Amen, John. And, Ellen, you were going to say something on this issue. Yes. I want to touch on the distinction there between agnosticism and atheism. I can't prove or I don't have any evidence that there is not a, um, an invisible elephant in this room. I have no evidence for that existing. But I can't prove there's not one. So I'm technically agnostic on the subject. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that I think, oh, well, there's a, an equal chance of it existing and not existing. No, I, I believe it does not exist. Right. So when I say that... I use the term agnostic because I'm not making the statement there is no God. That doesn't mean that I think it's just as likely to be true as not to be true. I'm leaning heavily on the side of there not being anything. Now, again, why do you think this topic becomes... Because we've had a wonderful discussion tonight, and I've had wonderful discussions with people uh, who very much disagree. But So why is there this contentious nature or baggage that comes with this discussion so often. Now, the, for, for that, I think that because if, if you have a, a theist and a non-theist speaking, the, the non-theist is, without even trying to, threatening to take a lot away from the theist. Mm. Because if the non-theist, the non-believer, convinces the believer that there is nothing else, the believer just lost their eternal life. Mm. They just lost the family that's already passed. There, there's a... There's a natural reason why the believer could be defensive and hostile in that conversation, even if the non-believer does not mean for it to go that way. Whereas if the belie- the non-believer is convinced otherwise, nothing's lost. I mean, there's now the risk of, you know, hellfire or whatever that particular religion b- believes. But I believe that the 
theist has a lot more to lose hypothetically in that conversation. Well, yeah, and it does again go to these very personal moments in people's lives, and that's why uh, I you, you're setting something off for me in the sense that I try not to have these discussions with people in a disrespectful way. Right. And it's not about winning. No. It's it's something that I've noticed that it affects politics a lot too. It's about I want to win, I want to win, I want to win, rather than well, I'm trying to figure it out and what do you think? Right. Even if you ask a question that seems like a tough question, it's like when I when I ask the, the faith question, I, I'm looking for an answer. Yeah. When, when I if I ask a question that's very critical, the seemingly critical of religion, I would love an answer that I have not considered because I know that there are perspectives that I have not considered. I would love to hear something outside of what I already know. Now, when somebody says, I'm praying for you, and they don't do, you know, God bless you, and right. sort of sarcastic, the classic Southern style, but I genuinely appreciate it when people say that. So do I, because to them, that is very significant, and that's what matters to me. They are doing what means the most to them to help me in some way, and that, of course, means a lot. Absolutely. Well... Alan, I really appreciated you coming by tonight. This hour has flown by. It really, really has. It feels like it's been 10 minutes. And I feel like we've been too polite, so maybe we got to come on and argue about, like, economics something. Sometime. We need to have a back and forth about something. Come on, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, well, w how would you describe your view on economics real quick? I believe that while you need good checks and balances, a strong central government can be very helpful when it comes to protecting rights and ensuring a basic standard of living for the majority of people. Well said. And I think those central governments are often co-opted by large actors in the space. Well, say the capitalist class. Uh, that's how I think Marx would describe it. Um, I think we see this with corporations taking over and controlling that central government. So I would prefer a sort of uh, decentralized governance that is mostly voluntary mm -hmm. and can be dynamic rather than co-opted. The, the central government shouldn't have all power, but I believe that uh, when it comes to elections, for example, that a system of public financing is key. Uh, that way you cannot buy influence into the system. I think that's very important. Um, certain powers sh should be left to the localities and the states and everything, but on some level, some issues are so large, I believe they should be handled by the federal government. But, well, I was going to say, do you think one government on all the earth, I'm not saying that there wouldn't be subsidiaries, mm -hmm. But should there be one that ensures rights, or could it be that we have, say, an uh, ideal we're living up to, like something like a constitution, saying you must respect these human Absolutely. rights, a and many people can enforce that if they stay true to those ideals? Yes, yes. I don't, I don't believe that you should have necessarily a one-world government, certainly mm -hmm. not. There are too many people, too many cultures for that to work. But on the level of countries... Uh, well, we're out of time, and I think we just hashed out our politics <laughs> in... Less than a minute, folks. Yep, there you go. Alan, thank you again for joining me. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening, folks. This has been the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Tomorrow night, my brother, we're going to nerd out on Lord of the Rings. You've been warned. On the radio, <laughs> why do I start swearing?